Welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. Tonight, I reached the halfway mark in my bio diet challenge, down 10 pounds and cooking up some great keto food to boot. David G. Harper joins me to chat about the weight loss as well as cancer and the bio diet. As well, we talk about emotional distress, how self-love can unlock your ability to help deal with it. Kindy Gill joins us to chat. Finally, did you know that tapping, a simple technique, can lead to emotional freedom from whatever you've got on your mind? Joan Kaler explains it to us. The Sunday Night Health Show podcast starts now. All right. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. If you're just joining us for the first time in your life, (laughs) welcome. Thank you. Um, But uh, also, if you're just joining us, just a little review. I have David G. Harper joining me in the studio. He's been joining me the last eight weeks, has it been? Um, Talking about the bio diet, which is the scientifically proven ketogenic diet. And so I've been following it. And I was just saying to David that I actually feel amazing on it. Um, in spite of life's ups and downs. Um, and, and I've actually lost a bit of weight as well. Uh, so I'm happy about that. Uh, David, thanks so much for joining me in oh, the my studio. Pleasure. Yep. And remember, inches are more important than weight. It's the inches it's, around your waist it's that the we're inches, really and the yeah. inches. The inches do go. You know, I have yeah. to say, no, I'm down great. about two or three inches yeah. off my waistline, which is all, they were Christmas gifts anyway. <laughs> and uh, so, and you know, the other thing is, I actually don't feel hungry. Now, the last yeah. time I ate was, I think, around four o'clock and I had my ketogenic chili, mm-hmm. uh, which has tomato paste and tomatoes in it uh, and meat and, and vegetables, kind of beans, that kind of thing. Um, and it fills you up and then I don't eat till tomorrow. Like I'm not the least bit hungry and I wouldn't eat after six o'clock or seven o'clock in the evening anyway. So I probably won't eat till, till tomorrow, but it's really suppressed my appetite. It, uh, it's yes. I don't know if it's so much suppressed your appetite as balanced it. So, so generally we get hungry when our blood sugar drops. That's the biggest signal. Now, there's also this ghrelin, which is released, uh, which makes us want to eat, and then the leptin makes us want to stop eating. Those are the two hormones we Mm -hmm. talked about last week. But yeah, no, it's really about blood sugar. So because you're not eating a lot of carbohydrate, Mm -hmm. your blood sugar is being produced by your liver as it's needed, so it's always at a moderate level. So you don't get that, I'm starving, i got to eat something, feeling uh, that you do, that most people do because they get up in the morning and they have a high-carb breakfast, and then by 10 o'clock they're starving and they need to stuff something in there. So, right. And I, you know, I, I was talking to a physician one time who was keto-adapted, and, uh, and he said it was great for work because he said, I don't feel like when I'm really, you know, and there's urgent things going on, he said, I don't feel like I have to eat. I can just ignore it, and I can ignore it all day if I need to. Exactly. And typically in the morning I will have with my grass fed butter, um, an egg omelet. Um, Sometimes I just do an egg white omelet. I'm not a huge yolk fan, but but I do add the yolks in. Yeah, that's personal choice. The yolk is fine to eat. It's not, there's nothing unhealthy about a yolk. Exactly. But I just, sometimes I have a little bit and sometimes I don't. Um, But so I have that and that sustains me for a while. And then, you know, a little bit later I'll have some Greek yogurt with some berries. Mm -hmm. Um, And then typically uh, chicken or like a like a chicken leg with the skin and everything, <laughs> which is nice. Love it. <laughs> uh, for lunch and some salad or broccoli or cauliflower or something like that. Um, so it, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's uh, satisfying, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's very satisfying. And, uh, you know, as you know, I have a sweet tooth and that can be my biggest temptation uh, is the sweet tooth. How's that, how's that, that going? Is it, do you find that is abating? Because often that's 
something that we continuously feed. And, and it's especially uh, fructose sensitive, which is part of sucrose, because that affects the brain in some ways, uh, similar ways to the way cocaine affects the brain. So it can be very addictive, that kind of sugar. But we also just like sweet as well, because that's a signal to our brain that there's energy in this food. So so how are you doing with that? Much, much better. Good. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not, um, I'm, I'm, I'm turning away those sweets. Yeah, and... and we, you know, one of the great things about as you move along, so we're now in week eight, is you, you know, when you do have those temptations, when you do have that, you know, we're questioning your commitment, that's when you want to think about all the successes you've had so far. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've lost this weight and I've lost some inches and I'm mm-hmm. feeling great. And, and that helps you sustain the diet too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And a little mindfulness thinking of, the, yeah. you know, the summer, the beach, the whole thing. Well, that helps. <laughs> that's, motivation. That's an yeah. <laughs> uh, going away, going a couple of trips coming up, maybe. Yeah. They might be canceled due to the coronavirus. We'll, we'll but see, huh? We yeah. will have to see. I'd say wait another two weeks before you book those, uh, you know, non-refundable flights. <laughs> They're booked. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's all booked. Oh, well, that's life. Uh, but, you know, I have a couple of conferences coming up. In, Me too. Uh, Amsterdam, yeah. one in Phoenix. And uh, so I imagine they're not, uh, they may or may not go. Yeah, after next week's show, I'll be down at the uh, Low Carb Denver. So I can report back on that. I actually get back in Sunday morning, so I'll be there. Yeah, that'll be fun. That is awesome. All right. So beyond, um, I I do have a question. We'll get to that shortly. Um, But beyond uh, weight loss and feeling good, um, there are some other potential health benefits for the scientifically proven ketogenic diet or the bio diet. So talk to me a little bit about some of those. Yeah. So we've been going through this sort of week by week. The major chronic diseases that cause uh, most of the morbidity and mortality are cancer, cardiovascular disease, uh, diabetes, and, and Alzheimer's. So we've been doing those sort of in reverse order. We talked about Alzheimer's couple and, and you know brain health and dementia mm-hmm. and how uh, ketogenic diets can help prevent and treat that. We talked about diabetes. It's very effective for that. Uh, this week we'll be talking about cancer and the next week we're going to be talking about cardiovascular disease and my wife and co-author Dale Drury is going to come on and talk about her personal uh, journey on the bio diet because as she was doing this she, she had also had uh, open heart surgery to have a valve replaced and so she's been and watch very carefully by our friend, Dr. Weisler, Fantastic. Uh, cardiologist. Yeah. Great. That's awesome. Um, so I have found, this is a, this one is a, happens to be a friend of mine, a skiing friend, buddy of mine who, okay. um, she's been doing the bio diet ever Great. since the beginning. And so she, um, she's texted me and she said, ran last night and bonked. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not that kind. The other guy yeah. today, run, hike, walk with a friend and no capital N O energy heart rate, 155. Yeah. I ate a full oatmeal raisin cookie. Need carbs. Can you please yeah. ask Dr. Harper how to balance keto in an active lifestyle? Yeah, and, and you get what you train for. So uh, I'm really fortunate to work uh, on our cancer research study, which we'll talk about with mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Jeff Volok, who's the expert in this area. And he, he talks about how once you're keto adapted, you actually don't get the bonk. Bonk is something that uh, endurance athletes get where they just sort of, they just, they're, you know, running a marathon or whatever and 20, 20 miles in or something, they just run out of gas. They just have no energy left. Um, because of the way you've switched your fuels to fat burning and the rate at which you uh, use those fats in whatever, I don't know exactly what exercise she's doing. Sounds like she's running. Well, uh, skiing. 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 But she did ah. say that her husband, who happens to be a physician, yep. <laughs> she said, found my answer. 
Uh, he accused me of having keto legs on the hill yesterday. Keto legs, that's yesterday, a new one. yes. Right. And it says he found. I'm not sure what this reference is from, but right. um, you're going to engage in high intensity sports like basketball or hockey. You'll probably perform better with some carbs in your system. 50 grams or so, 20 minutes prior to starting time. Should your blood, should, should your, should supply your body with enough fuel to ignite your muscle metabolism. Yeah. At which point the fats take over to provide a steady and efficient yeah, source of energy. It might actually be from my book. Oh, okay. <laughs> it could be because. <laughs> no, we know about that. And, and the, the general thing is you, you train low and perform high. So you train on low carb. And, mm-hmm. and then if you're doing uh, an endurance, so this is skiing, it's quite different from running. Mm-hmm. So if you're, um, if you're doing something like, you know, hockey or basketball or something, yes, you should, you should and can. It just depends on what competitive level you want to work at. Take uh, 50 to 80 grams of carbohydrate um, about 20 minutes before the event. And you're just going to burn it all up. So it's not going right. to affect your insulin. And what do you recommend there? Anything in, in particular? No, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it, pizza, it, it, she uh, thought of banana. <laughs> you know, banana's probably pretty good. Yeah. Banana's probably better yeah. than the pizza. Yeah, oatmeal raisin, that's, that'll be fine too. Okay. But I mean, but uh, you know, what you have to realize, this is for people who are already keto adapted and want to perform. So. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we're going to go to break right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, abnormal growths, benign mm-hmm. versus malignant tumors and um, other lymphomas and leukemias. Anyway, mm-hmm. heading into cancer and how the bio diet may help prevent some of those. I am Maureen McGrath and this is the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome to the second hour of the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you with lots of troubles in life that occur. Um, People may have anxiety, they may have depression, they may have situations that occur that cause them a fair bit of trouble, and uh, one of the core reasons for this is a lack of self-love. Kindy Gill joins me in studio. She's a personal development specialist and professional speaker on the matter of self-love, self-love and also the Dalian Method. She's a health and wellness consultant as well. Thank you so much for joining me in the studio tonight. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> You're very welcome. Um, so self-love, it's important but difficult to attain or achieve or to be in that moment um, all the time, every day, every minute of our lives. And, and without self-love, we run into lots of troubles, as I understand it. Now, we're not talking about the self-love I usually talk about, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> this is another more ethereal type of self-love, more acceptance. So tell us a little bit about self-love and why it's important, Kindy? It's actually the most essential quality that all of us as human beings need to master. Um, And unfortunately, females are more disempowered than the male population, mostly because we have a very patriarchal society. And so what happens is we, we as human beings are about the only species that make their way on the planet that don't emerge straight into our essence. We're sort of like a work in progress. And then we navigate through life, through through experiences, what we need to learn. And if you look at most people's journeys, there, there's like a sort of the typical sort of uh, movie style idea where, you know, there's a, there may be something going on, there might be this peak of success, and then there's this dip and something shocking or adverse arises out of nowhere. And then they've got a master once they're at the bottom of that uh, uh, valley, how to get back out again. And that curve that we go through where we're trying to get out of the valley is all designed for the same purpose. And that is to help us to become more conscious of our own essence. 
And in that process, the journey always is about adjusting to embracing and accepting ourselves in our fullest way. And so it's like we're all on this journey until death, mastering self-love in one form or another. And it doesn't really matter how our stories are unfolding. The ultimate lesson is to find your divinity and to find the special essence that exists in you, which is unique, but actually the same as well. Now, uh, you mentioned the valleys that people have uh, kind of peaks and valleys. Are there Mm. some people that just, they just don't seem to have any valleys? (laughs) I don't think that's actually necessarily true. I don't think so either. (laughs) It just seems that way. They might be masterful at hiding it or they, you know, that phrase that says ignorance is bliss. Yes. Um, A lot of people master how to suppress their feelings. So the less that they feel, the less that they actually have to then cope with what's going on. And that's a little bit like a seedling. So if you take a seed that has the potential to grow into a tree or into a flower or whatever, right? So if you have a seed that's hard, rock solid, nothing's going to break it. It's going to stay intact. It's going to stay solid, Mm -hmm. right? But in order for that seed to grow into something, it has to actually, something has to burst out of it and it has to break and fall And then as it's bursting out, then the emergence of the tree and the fragrance and everything else. And that's what we're like with human beings. So if people say they've got a really good life and they they claim that they've got their whole whole thing held together, what it really means is they're staying in the seedling, they're staying as the seed. And they've got this hard rock shell around them and they've somehow found a way to bounce off anything that's happening, which really means it's not penetrating them. But it also means that they're not living or even attempting to access their full potential because that guard around them doesn't allow them to access what's really inside them. Or they're just lying, <laughs> basically. But some, yeah, but, I mean, the li- some. but the lies could be just because they've mastered how to be uh, immune to feeling. Right, right. Yeah. And so is it better to actually be that type that, um, you know, I mean, I have to say in, in my life, I've certainly learned the most from mistakes or when I failed or if I've had some uh, professional issue that was of concern or, um, you know, issues at work. I was bullied at work, for Mm -hmm. example, and sexually harassed. And so I learned a tremendous amount about that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And so I'm actually able to help other people as a result because I understand it and I can actually help them. I can predict what is going to happen because it's such predictable behavior. And and recently I sent uh, somebody who's been bullied off to the lawyers that I used. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I am grateful for that experience now. At the time, I certainly was not. Um, it was devastating and it was horrific. And I, and, you know, I was physically ill and, and emotionally unwell. Um, it was a, it was a drastic time. I took time off from work, you know, eight to 10 months mm-hmm. off from work. And, you know, and I realized a lot of people would not have the capacity to even be able to do that. So I've, in that I found gratitude as well. Um, and so is it, do we learn the most? Do, should we welcome these tragedies, if you will, these difficult times? Unfortunately, that's basically the setup for life. So when we experience some form of suffering, some sort of adversity, there's two things that could happen out of that. We can either sink in it and suffer for longer and longer and longer, or we actually dig deep to find the silver lining. But most of our growth arises out of suffering because if you have Fred Bloggs down the street 
they've got this perfect marriage and they've, they're having these beautiful holidays, they've got these wonderful children, they've got these experiences, their health is all intact. Hello, where, every friend on Facebook. Go where's ahead. Their, where's <laughs> their motivation to want to evolve into anything beyond that? There isn't one. Mm-hmm. So suffering and adversity is your motivator to force you into another way of addressing your life. And so it's only a temporary pit stop, but an essential pit stop to help you to grow into this emergence of being able to actually love and adore yourself, but not in a narcissistic way where you're flaunting yourself and you're, you're thinking you're better than anything else around you. It's more from a very modest and, and, and humble space that recognizes that I'm as special as everybody else and I'm as insignificant as everybody else. I'm as similar to everybody else as I am unique to everybody else. So it has all these qualities in it that only arises once you've dug deep to understand your own psychology and you've understood more about what you're doing here on this planet, which is about becoming more conscious. And then you become more of your own essence. Like a dog is a dog is a dog. A cat is a cat is a cat. A human being, unfortunately, comes in all sorts of forms. You have the Hitler and then you have the Buddha. And so what is that all about? It's designed to show us that the journey doesn't stop at just being Hitler. It allows us to understand more that you can go through the phase of being Hitler and emerge into becoming the Buddha. And that's like our... Uh, joy and our ecstasy but at the same time it's our cross to bear as human beings too because we've got to navigate that journey and find our way into that serene state i mean it's it's a great i love how you put that uh, i was raised uh, my mother would say you're no better than anyone else and you're no worse than anybody else mm-hmm. you know and a lot of people actually either falsely believe that they're better mm-hmm. than other people or they suffer and they feel that they're not as good as other people Yes, and that's that negative self-talk. Yeah, and there's too many things in society that act as a hypnosis that we don't understand are subtly programming us. Like, for example, you might be at school, and so we've sent our children off to school, bless them, for all those years, but so much of the system is about examining them, about grading them, about ranking them in one way or another. And so what's happening is this idea of superiority and inferiority is arising just by virtue of a school system. Then we have the media and we have uh, careers. And what happens is as a community, we tend to revere those that have succeeded and earned more money, etc. So again, we're putting some emphasis on somebody being better off or less than. And so this type of programming that arises just through being part of the human species and part of the structure in how life is organised gives us this impression that there is a rank, that there is a ladder, that there is some progression that's arising and therefore we have to prove our worth to be able to absorb the idea of self-worth. But that's not true. It's a massive fallacy. In fact, the more you're trying to succeed and scramble to prove who you are, what you're worth, the greater the insecurity that you're actually feeling inside. Um, And it's a compensatory action that starts to arise, not one that's coming from a sense of fulfillment. Very interesting. Um, I have a question and I've lost it. I was mesmerized by by what you were saying. Um, And and so 
I, I, I know what it was. It was about, I hear, because I'm in this clinical practice, I see a lot of marriages gone wrong, um, you know, a lot of love gone wrong. And oftentimes people will say, you know, he completed me or she completed me or I'm mm. marrying my best friend. Mm. Um, and so, you know, this is my better half and, mm. and this kind of thing. Can someone else complete somebody? I didn't think so. <laughs> I don't think so, but I'm not the professional there. You are. This, this is a strange thing. Why don't we, we're actually going to go to break right now. Okay. We're gonna, like the Netflix uh, addictive part here. Can somebody complete you? Give me a call if they can. one 877 Anyway, we're going to go to break and we're going to come back. And Kindy Gill is going to answer that question for us. I'm Maureen McGrath and this is the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. We're talking about uh, those things in life that occur. Um, one of them is uh, being uh, feeling good about yourself, self-love. And what we left off with uh, was, and my guest is Kindy Gill, and she um, counsels a lot of people with the Dalian method, using the Dalian method, um, but uh, does somebody complete you? And uh, is that is that true in relationships? I hear that quite a bit in my clinical practice, Kit, Kindy. So what do you think? Um, from what I've seen in a lot of marriages, what tends to happen is at the early stages, the two personalities that come together do bring differing qualities. Mm-hmm. So you can find that, like, I'll take my own marriage, for example, um, I was, you know, very decisive, very goal-driven, very capable of uh, making things happen. And my husband actually was uh, very, very happy to do a lot of the tasks I hated doing. So he would be extremely happy to uh, cook and clean and uh, was very, very practical around the home. Mm-hmm. And my brain didn't really function in that way, in the same way of being as practical. So... To start with, it looked like, oh, my God, this is a dream come true. Because, a match made in heaven. Yeah, because it feels like, wow, there's things that I don't like doing and I don't want to do, this guy's doing. But what happens over time is, is because of this concept of self-love, it's almost like it's a collaboration where two sets of skill sets come together. And then and we've been married now for 33 years. And so I'm talking from experience rather than from the fact that it's a theory-based. So what happens over time is... The things that you adored so much once upon a time become the source of your complaints and your griping Mm -hmm. over time. And so where he might have been very, very happy to be domesticated and to help do the the chores around the home that he was doing, eventually it becomes a thorn in his backside Mm -hmm. that you're not doing as much, right? right? And where I was happy to be making a lot of the decisions at at the beginning of the marriage, it becomes a thorn in my backside that he's not being as decisive or as proactive or as capable of steering the decisions that need to be made. Mm-hmm. So you then start rubbing and you start rubbing in a way where really what's happening is you're getting, you're feeling that rub because you need to expand. So as I found that I began to judge him over the things that he wasn't doing, that helped me to expand into the things that he was doing so that I actually ended up having more respect for the things that he was capable of doing. 
And my own energy started to escalate in that direction too. So over time, when I started doing more and more of this work around the self-love and the, with the Dalian method, you know, um, taking a toilet brush to the toilet became a lot easier to do the to do the chores around the kitchen and the dishes, etc. became a bit easier. To want to cook became so much more of a joy for me. And so what happens is it's like almost like this other person that's fulfilling the aspects that you couldn't do, that sort of you sense that it's like a completion of you, is only highlighting the aspects that are missing in you. Mm -hmm. And you work towards being able to become, you know, multidisciplined and multifunctional. And really, in the end, Maureen, self-love is about self-sufficiency. Absolutely. And uh, so for people who lack that self-love, is the Dalian method something that um, would be beneficial for them? It's like extremely useful. So it's like a system that you can use from home on your own once you've been educated as to how to use it. It highlights for you very, very quickly all the gaping holes. So anything that you're afraid of, anything that you're worried about, anything that you're concerned around tends to keep you small and timid and closed off. And so what it will do is just plug those holes bit by bit by bit until you then can venture out and take the risks to be able to do those things for yourself too. And what happens is that what you might perceive to be, like for example, if in my relationship at one point in our lives, I felt like I was extremely controlled, mm -hmm. even though I was so decisive and capable of doing so many things in the world, my desire to be loved was forcing me to attempt to please rather than to recognize my own self-worth and therefore love myself, right? Right. And so I was allowing an element of control to happen in my marriage because I was more driven by wanting to please than I was driven by understanding that I have, the, that I have an integral value in being who I am just because I'm a human being mm -hmm. and that 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 in itself demands a certain amount of respect back. But it was fears that were driving right. me to want to please. Right. And it's the human, the, like the female psychology really affects us very, very gravely here because biologically, um, in generations that came prior to us, we weren't, our worth was not measured through money or by achieving something in the outside world. We tended to be the ones that were unpaid to work 24-7 a day, um, day I, and I still think we're that. <laughs> day and there's night. There's a lot of women that are like that. That's though. right. A lot of, and myself included. You know, yeah. there's a lot of work that I do that, yeah. you know, goes unpaid. And maternally, we were driven to do so much, right? And so what happens is there was this messaging that arrived that said our worth is not high on the agenda, because we don't get paid back for it. And that's not true. And thank you so much, Kindy Gill. Uh, and your website is? KindyGill.com. And may I suggest if you're having difficulty with uh, lack of connection in your relationship or not enough honesty and openness or lacking compassion and respect for one another, may I suggest you reach out to Kindy Gill. Uh, coming up next, uh, emotional freedom techniques. I am Maureen McGrath, and this is the Sunday Night Health Show. This is the Sunday Night Health Show, and I am Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Are you somebody out there that suffers from anxiety or depression or other illnesses such as trichotillomania or dermatillomania 
Well, joining me on the line is Joan Kaler. She's a licensed therapist in the state of Pennsylvania. She's also an international coach and an EFT trainer. Good evening, Joan. Thanks so much for joining me. Oh, thank you so much, Maureen, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's The pleasure is mine. So uh, an EFT trainer, what exactly is an EFT trainer? Can you explain that to the listeners? Sure. EFT stands for Emotional Freedom Techniques, which is really an umbrella of a system that has many techniques under it, hence plural. And what I do is I'm... Um, certified with two organizations, and I have my own program that I take nationally in the U.S. and internationally, training therapists on what emotional freedom techniques are and how to use them in a clinical setting. Now, why would somebody so that's need, what a trainer is? Why would somebody need an emotional freedom technique or emotional freedom techniques? Ah, uh, thank you so much for asking. Because emotional freedom techniques is a mind-body energetic technique. And what it does is it works on the energy system of the body. It's, it combines cognitive behavior therapy with Chinese medicine. And folks would need emotional freedom techniques to be able to have cognitive shifts, to change destructive patterns, to change limiting beliefs and to become emotionally regulated. And so this really can crack the ceiling of anxiety, depression, trichotillomania, and dermatillomania. And, and you suffered from those, the latter two, correct? Which is why you got into this? Well, I suffered from trichotillomania. Trichotillomania is compulsive hair pulling, which I did for 25 years. So this is one of my specialties. Now, dermatillomania or excoriation disorder is the skin picking, and I never suffered from that, but they're both considered body-focused repetitive behaviors. And so was this something that you... Or impulse control disorders. Was this something you (laughs) tried to get help for in the past with utilizing other forms of therapy? (laughs) Well... When the dinosaurs were on the earth uh, way back when... There wasn't anything when I suffered. But over the past 30 years, there have been uh, remarkable strides in treatment for trichotillomania, also called trick or hair pulling disorder, and the dermatillomania. So it didn't help me way back when because these treatments weren't available until the 90s and forward. But I found my path. And what are some of the emotional freedom techniques? Okay. Under emotional freedom techniques is a whole system. So you won't find this on YouTube unless, (laughs) unless you subscribe to my channel or uh, my teacher's channel. But the techniques consist of things like tearless trauma, sneaking up, tell the story, the movie technique, sneaking out. There are many methods under emotional freedom techniques to help someone release the either the root cause of the problem or uh, the symptoms of the problem. Because really at the basis of anxiety and depression and other mental health disorders is trauma. 
and emotional freedom techniques is outstanding for treating trauma. So the methods underneath emotional freedom techniques are all those that I just met, just mentioned, but it takes uh, rigorous training to be able to know how to use them clinically. Okay. So sneaking up. And that's what I do. Sneaking up, sneaking out, they sound a little bit Mm -hmm. ominous or even a little bit uh, silly, (laughs) if you will, (laughs) depending how you look at it. Well, the sneaking up, okay, say someone is really upset about something. For instance, I helped someone today with the sneaking up. There was also the container method. So what we did was we did little sneaking up because she was overcome with emotion So I said, okay, let's take this emotion of sadness and put it in a container. And then where would you like the container to be? And she said, I want it in a box and I'm going to bury it in the sand on the beach. And I said, fantastic. So this is what's called sneaking up because we started tapping on the acupressure points, which are on the top of the head, the face, below the collarbone, underneath the arm, underneath the ribs. And sometimes we utilize the fingertips, which are all on the top of the skin. These are all acupressure points, the same points used in acupuncture. But the sneaking up is when you take something that is so difficult to talk about that in order to distance yourself from that unhappiness, from that trauma, from that sadness, grief, anger, whatever it is, you place it, it's, um, it's an interesting technique to put it somewhere that is not close, meaning close mentally. So, so when you speak them- up on something, you tap on the emotion, you tap on the container until you feel comfortable enough and you're emotionally regulated that you can talk about it. And, and is the container um, real or is the container imagined? The container is imagined. Okay, so they're not actually going to the beach and burying this. They're not uh, following through that. This no, 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 no. Right, okay. Right, it's a mindful thing that we do, right. Thank you for clarifying. Not at all. Yeah. Um, some people will wonder, and they'll be starting to put their burying their boxes on beaches. <laughs> um, so this is known as this tapping. So tapping is involved in all of the emotional freedom techniques? Yes. Interesting. I was talking to tapping, a group of people. Tapping. I was talking to a group of friends today, and all of them had experienced tapping. They'd all, they're all, you know, <laughs> just kidding. Uh-huh. <laughs> they're all. Uh, anyway, they'd all had this. They're my friends. They're crazy. Okay, um, but anyway, <laughs> so they were asking me what was going to be on the show tonight, and I said to tapping, and they're like, "Oh, I've had that. You had that. I've had that. They'd all had it. Anyway, <laughs> I need it. They've had it." <laughs> Uh, happy so, to help. Happy to help yes, in any way. Yes. Yeah, so how I've long? I've been studying this since 1996. Wow. So how long does a, a session take? Yeah. Really, uh, depending on what we're working on, it depends on the person. Usually, it's about an hour to an hour and a half to completely clear. Okay. And wow. And then one does testing on it, and then can come back to another session a week or two, but there are several different ways to test to make sure something is completely cleared. It's not just on a scale of zero to 10, what does it feel like now? 10 being the most and zero being not at all. 
So that's only one way to test to make sure that a problem is completely gone. Okay, so I've had an email. But I'm a ask- session usually takes about an hour to time. Okay, perfect. I've, I've had a, um, we're, I'm going to ask you to stay over the break. Um, I've just had an email. Uh, Dear Maureen, how can tapping improve my sex life? So I'm going to ask you to hang on. We'll go to break and we'll come back and we'll answer that question. Joan Kaler, licensed therapist and emotional freedom technique and also a coach internationally. I am joined on the line by licensed therapist in the state of Pennsylvania, international energy coach and EFT or emotional freedom technique trainer. Thanks so much, Joan Kaler, for staying on the line with me. Yes, ma'am. You're, all right. So we, we're talking about uh, these techniques, which involves tapping and containers and sneaking up and sneaking out. Um, and I've had a question about, uh, so these techniques can help people with anxiety and depression. And so the question that I've had um, in the previous segment, if you're just joining me now, is how can EFT help me with my low sexual desire? How can it help to improve my sex life? Love, Barb. How can you help Barb with her sex life? Okay, Barb, here we go. EFT can help if you can't achieve orgasm, if you've had some kind of unhappy event in your past in another relationship, God forbid you've been uh, molested in your youth, whatever. It neutralizes the beliefs holding you back from enjoying sex. It will heal traumas. It helps with infertility. Whatever the issue is that's keeping someone from enjoying sex and becoming emotionally and physical, physically intimate with their partner, using tapping will tap out the emotional trauma and also the um, unwanted belief or the pattern that's getting in the way of someone really connecting with their partner and having great sex. So denial is a bit of a drug, and oftentimes people think there's nothing wrong with them, but they just think, oh, I have low sexual desire, I'm too tired, I'm bored with him or her, whatever. Um, and so short of a mm-hmm. new relationship <laughs> or getting a boyfriend or a girlfriend, uh, whatever floats your boat, um, how can this, uh, how can mm-hmm. people, I imagine this makes them more vulnerable to enjoy sex or love the one they're with, if you will? Right. Well, we start out where the energy is. If someone can't think of a specific reason, and may I just state that there's a difference between global tapping and specific tapping. So specific tapping is when you're actually working with someone. And we would start out with, even though I have really low energy and I'm just not interested in sex with so-and-so, I accept myself or right here, right now I'm safe or I soothe and calm myself. The setup statement is crucial to putting your attention on what the problem is and where the energy is at the moment. And as you begin to tap, as one begins to tap, then other thoughts will come up. Oh, I remember when, or I really don't want to, or I, I'm not interested because the reasons for being tired not having libido, whatever the emotional reason is that's causing these physical things, that will be shown. That will come up from the subconscious to the conscious, and then there are tappable moments. That's wonderful. As we like to say. It's fantastic, and it's great work. Um, now, how can people find out more information about this? Are there any books they can read? 
Yes, ma'am. Thank you for asking. There's a great book called How to Want Sex Again by Alina Frank, F-R-A-N-K. Anyone can contact me at joankaylor.com, and I'd be very happy to help them in any way. Ah, geez, there's so much, but with our limited time, my, okay, so I've got the website there, and I guess that's really the best way to start well, it's, is to get that book. If you go to YouTube, you're not going to get correct information. The book and I will give you correct information. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that sounds great. Well, Joan Kaler, licensed therapist in the state of Pennsylvania, international energy coach and EFT or emotional freedom technique trainer. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. And thanks for all of your information. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me on, Maureen. It's been a real honor. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week.